We're in the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 2. I think Pastor Brian left off at verse 18. He had spoke on the, the paralytic, and it was the guys, remember, who brought him to the service. It was their faith that rewarded his blessing, his, heal, his healing. And then Jesus cleanses his first leper, uh, tells him to go to the priest. And I'm sure they had to dust off the books, blow off the books to find the offering they were supposed to use for that. And uh, Pastor Brian correlated that with uh, just leprosy in the scriptures is a, t- a sin, type of sin, and uh, how it will eat into your life, eat you up little by little. And I think the reason Jesus uh, correlates leprosy with sin is because sin affects us. It doesn't devastate. Usually it doesn't devastate our lives all of a sudden because I think there's time in repentance as you see a finger falls off or an ear falls off. Part of your life falls apart and Jesus is warning us and telling us to come back to him. So those were important lessons. But we're going to pick up at verse 18 of chapter 2 this evening. Ebiomi, glad you're here. (laughs) The disciples of John the baptizer... And of the Pharisees, remember, the Pharisees was a bunch of legalistic, traditional guys who, a religious group that wanted to follow the Lord, or at least showed outwardly that they were following the Lord, but inwardly, Jesus called them a bunch of hypocrites because they knew they weren't following the Lord. But anyway, they were fasting. Then they came and said to him, the Pharisees, why do the disciples of John And of the Pharisees, fast, but your disciples do not fast. I'm reminded of how I'm always saying, pick your own rows of peas, make sure you're walking correctly, and they're not doing that. At this time, John is in prison. Uh, The Pharisees fasted, they'd say, every Monday and every uh, Thursday, and that's because they believe that Moses went up on Sinai on Thursday, and he came back down on Monday. But none of that was enforced anyway in the law, except for the Feast of Atonement. They, we know they fasted the entire day. Matthew 6, chapter 16 says this, Jesus speaking, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So it's as if they were looking for a gift or some kind of recognition from God that they were fasting and he was supposed to reward them. But we know we fast and our reward is to draw closer to Jesus. The, the antenna of, our, of, of a spirituality should draw us closer because we're putting aside food. We can put aside the TV the iPhones, the games on the iPhones, any of those things to draw near to the Lord. So really what we're doing, we're building up that spiritual man, what's so important. It's so important. The world, as you walking around in this world, just tears that spiritual man down day by day. That's why it's important to be in the Word. But what's more importantly to go along with that is fasting, to deprive yourself of those fleshly appetites to build up the spiritual man. And that's what he's doing. He goes on to say, Assuredly, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, 
they have their reward. They're getting recognized by men. Look at their sad countenance. Look what they're doing to draw closer to the Lord. And John's disciples, they asked, why are we living this austere life, this disciplined life? What's the benefit of that? When Jesus' disciples, they're not missing any parties. Have you guys seen that commercial? It's uh, and I haven't ruled on it yet, my opinion on it yet. You know the commercial I'm talking about? Jesus, these young guys, they're in the city, they're in the urban area, and they're running around, and an old man may have fallen off a chair, and they're helping him up, and they ask the, the homeless for something to eat, but they're all dreaded out and tatted up, and then they leave. They do a good deed, and then they say something like, this is what Jesus taught them to do or something like that. So my verdict is still out on that, but it's a, it's a slick, cool, and savvy commercial. But I can understand what they're saying. Jesus was an everyday life God, and he wanted to be in everybody's everyday life. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside, what you, if you're tatted up or pierced earrings or pierced nose. It does not matter what matters if your heart has been changed. Therefore, you do these types of things. So I'm, I'm leaning on it, so an okay commercial right now. When you guys see it, tell me what you think about it. Verse 19, it says, And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Remember, the wedding feast was you, 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 it's supposed to be lively, uh, there's drinking going on at the wedding feast. Uh, they're just having a good time to the Lord. Verse 20, but the day, Jesus warns them, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then they will fast in those days. When he says we'll be taken away, that's violently. All of a sudden, he will be snatched away. And that should remind us of Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, when where. The writer says, and after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Jesus will be crucified violently. And, it, and he, of course, he goes on to say, but not for himself. We know that was for our sins, speaking of his crucifixions. John disciples, as they're uh, saying these things, John is going to put it, be put in prison. So he's already feeling the effects of following Jesus. Jesus, we know, is with us now. If we're born again, he, he lives inside of us. But once again, fasting brings our spiritual antennas out more. We, we live in this materialistic world. We touch, we see, we hear, we taste. But this is a walk of faith right here. And we're building up the spiritual man when we do these things. Matter of fact, Ephesians 6.12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against uh, principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts. Notice all these spiritual things of wickedness in the heavenly places. I have to remind myself all the time. I was talking to Bob Bowman earlier this week. And spiritual attacks come. And... Jesus doesn't say this just to be saying it. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
The enemy wants to tear down everything that God has used us to build up. And we need to be aware of those things and, and, and fight on our knees in prayer and things like that. He says also uh, in Mark 4, 18 through 19, it says, now these are the ones sown when he's, he's speaking about a person walking with the Lord. These are, I believe these are saved individuals, but they've allowed their, the, the soil of their hearts to become hardened and all those types of things. So listen to this. Now these are the ones, Jesus says, sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So that must be a pure heart. It was at one, once upon a time, but now it's becoming unfruitful. He says in verse 21, and the context here is a contrast between new and old. He says, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine. I'm reminded of Pastor Jonathan when he was, he was speaking on this parable right here. He couldn't understand it because he was young, but I can understand it because I'm older, because I used to wear those, those jeans that would, I would tear holes in the pants and my mom would have to go to the, the 5 and 10 store and buy patches. But it, I, I don't think... She ever bought the sew-on patches. So I'm telling you about the iron-on patches. You would iron those patches on. And if you didn't do it, but even if when you wash the iron-on patches, sooner or later, it would begin to pull off because it was new. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And no one puts new wine because of the wine's fermentation, the gases that's coming off the bag, into old, old wineskins or else the new wine would burst because it's all, already rigid. That old bag cannot expand anymore. That's what he's speaking of. Therefore, when the, the fermentation begins to happen, the new wine bursts the wineskin. The wine is spilled, and then I'm upset. Just joking. And the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. Remember that, verse 23. Now it happened that he went, in, he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grains. They're hungry. And the Pharisees said to him, why, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, have you never read what David did, David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? Remember 2 Samuel chapter 7 David is fleeing for his life, and he stops by, I think it was A.B. Athar, the high priest, and he says, have, do you have anything to give us? Do you have any food? I think he says, if, if you've abstained for women for a length of time, I might can find some showbread in here, old showbread. And they usually throw, would throw it out when it would get old, but he gives that to David to eat. That's what he's speaking of here. We have to understand that Moses, he received the law, and when he received the law, of course, it was the word of God centered in the law. But the Jews began to add tradition, begin to add judgmentalism, begin to add hypocrisy, all these things. And it was becoming uh, oppressive. God doesn't do anything to oppress us. 
I build the fence around my little front yard for my two little shih tzus won't run out to the road and get hit. They might bark and they might cry. They want to go into the road, but believe me, they don't want to go in there because they're going to get hit. That's what regulations and rules are for. They give us freedom. They can run in that little front yard all they want to. Don't have to ever worry about getting hit. They might have to worry about a big eagle flying in and picking one of them up. But getting hit or getting injured, they have the freedom to do that. And that's what Jesus is saying. The old system of Judaism, I said this Sunday, is fading away, and God always intended it. The, the, the old covenant, he always intended it. He, he was never going to keep it because it's shadows, remember, and appearances of something new that was coming. The ceremonial laws and all those things were types and shadows of this one Messiah, Jesus, coming and fulfilling all of this. And that's what he's trying to get them to understand. Uh, Atonement for sin, I think it's Hebrews that says that the blood of bulls and goats could never atone for sin. That's why Jesus says, behold, here am I. I've come in the volume of the book to do your will, Father. So all of the ceremonies, all of those things are wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He says, and what I'm bringing now is the new wine, the new wine of truth. Verse 23, now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. I would have been doing the same thing. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? We've all heard the question before, what were the Pharisees doing in the grain field? You ever been around people and they're like that? If you don't do it the way they think it needs to be done, you're doing it the wrong way. Or if you didn't do it exactly like I would have did it, you've did it the wrong way. God, I'm glad God is not like that. God has made us all individuals. We have talents, certain talents, certain gifts, all of those things. And all of those things should be appreciated. So just because I don't do something like someone else does, does not make it wrong and vice versa. We need to allow people to use their own gifts to the uh, enhancement of the church of God. And we'd, we'd be a lot better if we did that. We need everybody. God needs all of us to be serving him, working in the vineyard together. Deuteronomy 23, 25 says this, because they were not wrong for doing this. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. Boy, if that was still, if we would only do what the Lord asked us to do. I think of these smashing grabs where people go in and take what they want and all this stuff. They're saying, if you only take what you need for that meal, it's okay. Back in, they had no welfare system. They had none of those things. But you know, people, they don't do that. I was watching the news <laughs> And this guy, y'all may have seen it. This guy pulls up in a, was it an Infinity, 
a white infinity, brand new. He goes into the grocery store. Before he goes into the grocery store, this car had a Christmas tree tied to it on the, on the top of it. And he took it off and put it in his infinity. Can you believe that? Greed. Where do wars and rumors of wars and all those things come from? Man's heart wanting more than God has blessed them with. So that, that's what it's about. The Sabbath, we know, we talked about this Sunday, it finds its image, its origin in the law. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his works which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his works which God created, created and made. That's over a thousand years before Moses. He rested. He ceased from his work. Because the seventh day is what God, the Godhead has been waiting for. He did all this creation, and I bet his heart was just palpitating before he created man. He said, look, I've made this gigantic playpen for you. Here it is. Have at it. Do what you want. Just don't eat from this tree. When he said, let us make man in our own image, I bet on our own likeness, I bet he could not wait till it happens. And that's God's heart. That was his heart from eternity. Make man on the sixth day. In his first full existence of Adam and Eve was spending time with the Lord on that day. The Lord did not continue work. He says, no, this is it. I want to spend time with my creation, with man. And that's what he did. There was a rest for him. Man was created to fellowship with God. Man was created to worship God. I forget who, what theologians said it. Oh, I might forget the whole entire phrase now. <laughs> we were created. Mankind was created to worship God. He's going, we're going to worship something. May it be what we were intended to worship God. We can worship God. We can worship drugs. We can worship alcohol. We can worship sex. We can worship a person. Any of those things, they will all break your heart and will be a detriment to us. But you can worship God for the rest of your life, and he will only enhance your life and make your life joyous. Exodus 28 through 11 says this, the purpose of the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thou work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thou God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor their daughter, nor thou manservant, nor their maidservant, nor their cattle, nor their stranger that is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, set it apart. By this time, Jesus is walking the earth. They place burden upon burden upon burden on the Sabbath day, making, making it no one 
they almost resented it for com- the day for coming. It had got so bad. And that's what Jesus is trying to set straight right now. Verse 25, but he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in, in need and hungry? He and those with him, how he went into the house in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with them. Human need is always more important than religious rituals. It's hard for people to believe, but it's true because God has said it. He desires mercy before sacrifice. I'll break that down a little bit better. He desires us walking uprightly, just following him, than anything we can offer him or or ministry to him or anything. What makes God smile is when someone offends me, I turn around and be merciful to that person. I say, that's okay. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That's what the Lord did. Hosea 6.6 tells us, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. That love for others or to others is more important than any ritual we may do that the sacrifices of God, he says, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Because when we have a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart, it's very easy for us to look over mistakes or when someone offends us and do things like that. Human need must always have priority over religious traditions and regulations. Verse 27, and he said to them, Jesus speaking, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath bows down to God. That's what he's saying. Mark chapter 3. And he entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. This guy is still going to the synagogue. We would say he's still going to church with all of his burdens, with all of his issues, with all of his problems. He's still going to church. So they watched him closely, whether he would would heal him on the Sabbath. That's what we all need to strive to be like, that people would watch us in stressful Uh, circumstances, when the pressure is on, he's known to keep his cool. He's known still to bow the knee to God in these pressure situations, in these stressful situations. He still bows his knees and says, Lord, nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. I know you're going to take care of me. These guys, these religious people are watching. And Jesus knows this, but he's going to do the right thing, and that's what he wants us to do. And he says the reason they're watching him is so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. And notice he didn't do it in a corner. 
The Apostle Paul says, when he talks to Agrippa, he says, none of these things, speaking of Messiah and everything he was, Jesus and everything he was doing while he was on the earth, he says, none of these things were hidden in a corner. You've seen them happen. And that's what he does this. He, he says, step out. I want everybody to understand this. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 tells us this, abstain from every form of evil. Not, not, if, it, if you think it's shady or people might think it's shady, he says, abstain from it. I don't want that dust or that dirt to fall back on my Savior, and I should be living for him. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? I wonder, did they say, huh, let me think about this. Uh, let me think about this. They knew the answer. That's why they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them, notice what it says, with anger. James says, anger, but sin not. That's an emotion. And that was righteous anger. Being grieved, what was he grieved for? By the hardness of their hearts. They probably passed by this guy. Didn't, of course, they didn't sit close to him or anything else. He probably sat by himself. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And I believe that withered hand, by faith, as he started trying to stretch it out, give him great kudos for even, he could have said, Lord, I can't stretch out my hand. I can't do that. But as he stretches it out, it begins to heal. Once again, Christianity is a walk of faith. We have to take that first step. I believe the next step gets easier and the next step gets easier, but you have to start off. God is not going to take that step for you. That is being saved. He can call us to salvation, but in us, we need to believe. That's what this man does. Stretched out, he stretched out your hand and he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against them how they might destroy him, how they might destroy him for doing good. Hmm. Gosh. Remember, there was a, they were the religious sect. Uh, Herods came, of course, came out of that family, the Herodot, uh, Herod, I can't even say it now, Herodians. But they had a big... Uh, element, persuasion of pull in, in, in this season here. Nothing is really known about them. Whatever the political aims were, they, use, they usually sided with the Sadducees. And we know the Sadducees was more of the elite. The Pharisees were more working class, but the Sadducees were the elite class. And that's where the Herodians rode with. So at that moment, that was two sects. The Pharisees hadn't fully went all the way against him. But there was two sects that had turned their backs on Jesus Christ, making it hard for him to be, be out, uh, fellowshipping, uh, preaching the gospel, doing all those things because he knew they were out to kill him or find a reason why to kill him. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they heard how many things 
he was doing came to him. And that's always good. I cannot fault this multitude for coming to Jesus, especially if they were sick and, 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 and in need of physical healing or mental healing. Hey, there's this itinerant rabbi who can heal. But we have to understand and remember that was only the icing on the cake. That's only the icing on the cake. The cake is Jesus Christ and salvation. And I'm sure Jesus told them all the time, yeah, and he, we, he told the paralytic, which is easier to say, uh, pick up your bed or walk, or the other one, what's the other one? <laughs> exactly, your sins are forgiven. What, what do you mean, which, which, is, which is easier to say? We, we, we talked about that. Which one you're going to see that's going to show you who I am. But the key, it might not be important now. If I was crippled and in a wheelchair, and well, I, re- I really want to walk right now, Lord, in this world. I would really like to run. I'd really like to have a, my own body parts in me. But you have to look past all of that and see, remember what the finish line is. And the finish line is knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, knowing one day you're going to get a resurrected, glorified body. We have to play the long game here. And that's what Jesus wants them to do. And that's what he wants them to understand. All those healings and all those other things was prophesied that the Messiah would do, but it was still a drawing to get them closer to salvation. That's the cake. Verse 9, so he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. I've been to some pretty good concerts, I would say. But never one that it, it was so many people there that I was worried about being crushed. I went to, a, just so y'all would want to know, uh, I went to a Lecrae concert. When he, was, when he was strong and when he was preaching the word of God, I, I don't go see him anymore. I don't listen to him anymore. But when he first came out, it was a great big mosh pit. I remember being there with Matthew Karshner and, and some more guys. Uh, and they were, come on, Pastor Victor, get in this mosh pit. And they finally talked me into getting in it. And they were jumping around. And I said, oh, my back is hurting. I can't do this. I can't do this. And I got out pretty quick. That's probably the closest or the most uncomfortable position I've ever been around a crowd. So I cannot even begin to fathom this mul- when the Bible says multitude, it's a lot of people. And they were there probably mainly to be healed by Jesus. And Jesus is saying, yeah, that's the icing, but it's more to it than this. I want to give you the cake. I want to give you myself. I want to give you eternal life. So that's what, that's what he wants. And the unclean, I'll start at verse 4, he healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, notice what the unclean spirits do, fell down before him. 
and cried out, saying, that's the God from the foundation of the world. Eternity passed in the heavens with the Father, with the Son, and he being spirit at this time, who became flesh so he could identify with us, so he could share our griefs and our pain and our torments and everything. But these demons, they know him. They fell down before him and cried out, saying, you are the son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted, and they came to him. Remember, once again, the hostility is growing towards Jesus at this time. His popularity is growing. And that's why the religious leaders do not want him to reign over them. They're afraid of losing their jobs. They're afraid of losing their recognition and their privilege instead of thinking of eternal things. Matthew gives a, a little clear understanding, Matthew 9, 36, 10 through 1. This is what he says about this. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. I, I cannot forget the pastor who taught him this. He, he said he had bowels of mercy. Have you ever cried? I hope if, if you have, have ever cried like this, I hope it was a, a good cry. But it, most of the time it's sad and, and not so good cries when you, you cry with bowels of mercy. Things have went the wrong way. And, and the, the anguish and all that just boils up inside you. That's how... They say Jesus was crying, sobbing, seeing this multitude. That's what he's talking about. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. We need to preach. Pastors need to preach us. Sermon on that topic. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into harvest. And when he, Jesus prayed that for us. He saved us so we could go out and minister and do all those things. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. He chooses the 12 we know, but we don't know how many more disciples Jesus had and made at the time, 100, two or 300. Luke 24, 49 says this, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The church from that will move forward, and the foundation of the apostles will start right there. A number of them we know will write scripture, and the world will, 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 ever, will ever be changed from that. Verse 14, he says, Then he appointed twelve, 
that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Barnegis, that is son of thunder. They're also the Lord's first cousin, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, uh, Nathaniel. He said, show us the father and it will be sufficient for us. He was the contemplative type. Then he says, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite. He, he was a bad boy. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. So Jesus, Mark is a fast-paced gospel. He has Jesus moving. He's, he, he never stops long. And he continuously tells us because Mark of all four of the gospels would be the TikTok gospel. You get your news quickly in five minutes. That would, if, if TikTok was on, if the gospel was on TikTok, well, I would tell you to be leery of it. But it's not. But back in the day, this would be the TikTok gospel because Mark is fast-paced and people who are moving want to get snippets of, of news. Then the multitude came together so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, his, his family, for they said he is out of his mind. Remember what I told you about when they said he's out of his mind, he's beside himself. He's not doing so well. He sees him and he sees someone else that looks like him, they're saying. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said he has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. So he called them to himself and said, said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand. So he's not going to do that, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house. I remember being out in the park this summer and teaching this because I said and who's the strong man? <laughs> and I got this answer and I got that answer, but it was the wrong answer. So who's the strong man? Who? Somebody said, no, 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 not Jesus. Keep reading. Jesus is speaking here. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless... He first binds the strong man. That should give it away. He's speaking of himself, Jesus Christ. And then he will plunder his house. That's why the analogy is, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. He's not going to do that. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. No way. And if Satan has risen up against himself, which he will never do, and is divided, he cannot stand. Satan, he, he doesn't want, he wants division, but he doesn't want division in his own house. <laughs> no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Jesus Christ says, I'm the binder of the strong man. Allow me into you, into your life, 
and I will straighten your situation out. Drugs, alcohol, all those things, he straightens them out. He straightened them out in my life when the division was there. And Jesus, he can straighten out any issue, any problem. Colossians 2.15, I love this, says this, and then he will plunder his house. No, here, this is the verse. Having disarmed principalities, that's Jesus, and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. On the cross, all of these demonic forces, he made a spectacle of them. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, I forget the Psalms, he says, bulls of Basham surround me. I believe those are demonic forces he was seeing. They're all celebrating. They thought they had won. And that's what he's saying. He made a public spectacle of them. 